0: We are in uh, Jesus' brother's, uh, brother James's letter once more this morning, uh, part of chapter one and part of chapter four. And I would encourage you to grab uh, the Bible either from the chair in front of you or pull it up on your phone if you uh, like to follow along there. Uh, But we're going to be uh, looking pretty closely at one word this morning. And. It's an important word as we think about what it means to be a Christ follower, and it is the word trial. Would you join me once again in prayer? Be thou our vision, O Lord of our lives. You are our treasure, and your word is, sweeter than honey. And so as we spend some time in your word this morning, may your spirit be alive and moving among us, and may we be aware of it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. James begins his letter with this unique and peculiar phrase, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, and we've been looking at the letter of James and how this theme verse, so to speak, shows up in other parts of the letter. And this morning we're going to be looking in particular at that word "trials." And we're going to be reading verses 13 through 18 of chapter one, and then skip down to verse, uh, excuse me, chapter four. So if you have your Bible open, uh, follow along as I read. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. And then we're going to skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Do you think scripture says without reason that he, that is God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he, again God, gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. For when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. For there is only one lawbreaker and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So there are a couple of words in the English language which have opposite meanings. And these are called uh, Janus words. Words that uh, mean the opposite thing. Thanks to Mental uh, Floss for these. Uh, One of the words is trim. The word trim both means to put something around the edges to fill it in, as well as to remove the excess from the edges. Oversight. Oversight both means to provide support for when making sure that someone is doing their job well, And it also means to completely miss something when looking at it. Oversight. My favorite word that has multiple meanings is the phrase to fight with. To say that I fought with my brother means that I could have argued with him. I fought with him. It means that I could have fought alongside of him in a battle. I fought with him. And it also means, more comically, that I used my brother as a weapon. I fought with him. Words can often mean opposite things. And that makes it difficult to understand sometimes what it is that someone means. And in the book of James, in his letter, that is especially true because the word trial And the word temptation in our text, it's the same Greek word. So it is like trim, where you fill in the edges around something and remove the edges of excess around something. So really, when we read our text this morning, verse 13, when trialed, no one should say God is trialing me, For God cannot be trialed by evil, nor does he trial anyone. But each person is trialed when they're dragged away. And if we were to go back one verse to verse 12, we would read the opposite. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. And in verse 2, James writes, consider it pure joy when you face trials. How can the opposite thing How do we understand this word trial? And the reason this is so important is because we face things in our life that we don't know whether they are trials to be born up under, to say, I don't like this, but God is clearly up to something and so I need to persevere under fire. I need to hold fast in the midst of trial. I need to stay the course. How do we know when it's a trial or a temptation? When we should run 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction because the temptation moves us away from faith, It weakens our resolve. It undermines us and forces us away from our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. So how can we tell the difference? Because the truth is, we don't know a lot of times. There are a few things that we want to sort of lay as groundwork. One is that the Bible nowhere tells us to intentionally put ourselves through a trial. Right, nowhere in the Bible do we hear, breathe in asbestos with the hope that you will eventually get cancer and have a trial. Nowhere are we encouraged to drive as fast as we can without seatbelt, turning the airbag on, airbags off, excuse me, so that we can have a trial. Scripture nowhere says that. Seek it out. But Scripture also says. When you face trials, i.e., you're going to have them. That's verse 2, after all, of James. Whenever you face trials, it's not if, it's when. It's when it happens. The other part of trial is that we are never told in Scripture to just sort of grin and bear it. The Psalms, afterwards, are one-third full of us saying to God, I don't like what I'm in the middle of. How long must I have this? I will praise you, but... And so again, James is finding itself in this historical rooted faith that we're going to face trials. We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're going to be in a covenant pull to understand what it means. But again, even with those big sort of guardrails, how do we know when it's a trial or a temptation? And sometimes it's both, isn't it? Because after all, when we get married... None of us go into marriage thinking, ah, this will last a couple of years, and then it will be awful. None of us enrolls in college after we graduate from high school or tech school with the thought that I'm going to go in, I'm super excited with this, but three, month, or three weeks in, three months in, drop out. That was a great waste of money. Right? Nobody goes in that way. And I would bet if we're honest, most of us, if we're thinking through our lives right now, if we were to take an inventory, we can think of things where we very clearly sensed God leading us toward a decision to purchase a car, to purchase a house, to go, to, uh, to go on a vacation, to build a friendship, to go to a church, to go to a school, to pursue a kind of treatment where we very clearly sensed God bringing us this way and yet as we were going through it or during it, it became an incredible place of faithlessness, where we responded not with faith, not with joy, but running away from God, running away from the community of faith. Our faith didn't strengthen, it weakened. And the forces of darkness and evil clearly used that time to pull us away. So how do we tell the difference? I'd love to say that there is an answer here. But Scripture says sometimes we don't know. And actually, Scripture says we really don't know until the end. So let's look. Because there's not hopelessness here, but hope. If you have your Bible open, I would encourage you to look closely with me at verses 13 through 18. Because what James is doing here is telling us what happens when a trial is designed by or used for a negative end by the forces of darkness or used by God and the forces of light, our Heavenly Father, the Father of light. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Verse 14 each person is tempted when they are, notice the verb, dragged away and enticed. James says that temptation in the midst of trial is like a Venus flytrap. It's like one of those sticky things you hang on your porch. It smells sweet. It looks sweet. You grab it and Ooh, And all of a sudden you're being dragged along and you can't go back. That's temptation. All of a sudden we are in and we want to go back. The problem is, this course ends with death. Verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth. Notice that word, birth, because we're going to come back to it. And sin, when it is full grown, that word we're coming back to too, gives birth to death. So the way temptation draws us, the way it brings us, is not to fullness not to wholeness, it does not bring us willingly, but it draws us in so we feel hopeless. And here's most important for 2021, future-less. Temptation has as its primary goal to remove any thought, not just of eternal life, but that God is in tomorrow. If you can remove that thought, if you can remove the idea that God does not hold the future, that God does not c- control tomorrow or next week or a month from now or a year from now, it will certainly lead to death and the idea of we must win now today. We must have what we want now, today, because there's no future. At least not a God future. Temptation comes from within. It's self-induced, dragged away and enticed. It is violent. When it is fully developed, it is death, and it is constantly shifting. In contrast, James gives us the exact opposite. When a trial is something God is giving us to produce in us maturity and to draw us to him. Notice the difference of who is birthing here. Did you catch it? Verse 18, he chose to give us birth. It's not birth from within. It's God who gives birth to us. Opposite of shifting desires. It is not God who shifts like shadows, verse 17, but God is constant. He does not change his promises and his work in our lives. It's not as if he's going to do one thing for one person and not for one another. Maybe you notice that in the Heidelberg Catechism answer, uh, true faith, there's a response where uh, a part of it, it says, and also for me. Because when we're reading about true faith and what it means for everybody else, there's part of us that imagines the forgiveness of sins and the communion of saints and God's good and perfect gifts and the sheer uh, magnitude of Christ's grace. It's for everybody else. And yet the Catechism wants us to say with our Voices, for me also, God's promises do not shift. And unlike temptation that grows into death, a hopelessness, verse 18, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In the New Testament, the language of first fruits is resurrection language. It is that even when the story appears to be over and death has triumphed, just wait till Sunday. Just wait. And if God is choosing to give birth to us through the word of truth, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is using what we are walking through, not as a dead end, but as a way of bringing resurrection life. Now, we may not see that in the here and now. We may not know how that story ends in the here and the now. But that's the end of what God is up to. In contrast... To temptation, which leads to death. Comes down. If the language of temptation is to be dragged away and enticed to grab us and connect, the image of coming down is like in the Hunger Games, where water is needed, where food is needed. There's this battle scarred arena, and this little balloon floats in with this incredibly gracious gift right where it's needed to provide just enough to keep going. James is almost encouraging us to think of balloons, not like helium that float away, but when they're up there, they settle down. They come down from above. And so you and I, when we are in the midst of trials, same word, trying to discern if this is God up to something or if this is the forces of darkness drawing us away, tempting us, enticing us. There are a few practices that James provides to help. And that's really what chapter 4 is. But ultimately, it's about submitting. It's about asking God to give us a sense of possibility. Again, if we are so short, if we are short-sighted, if we are unable to see beyond this difficulty, beyond what is happening to us, that this is all there is, We, of course, will be enticed away to give up, to let go. But if we can imagine that God is working out, that there is not only eternal life, there is resurrection, there is something more for us. We can persevere, hold up, and withstand. And that is why James says, he gives us more grace not to the one who is short-sighted and limited, but humble. And so submit yourself then to God. Take a posture of acceptance, of submission, and of believing that the God who births us remains constant and faithful. And when this is full-grown, will be something that has been good. Let's pray. Gracious God, some of us here this morning are in the middle of a word that we're not sure if it's a temptation or a trial, but it's not something we really want to be in. Help us to have a vision beyond today. A vision not just of our future, but your future for us. A future that contains the power of the resurrection. And in that kind of faith, a faith that can persevere and find hope and joy even in the midst of trial. God, when we are enticed away, when we are fighting and quarreling because we are short-sighted and unable to see beyond, forgive us. Help us to submit to you. Bring us back. Give us a spirit of repentance. And above all, God, grow in us an eternal vision, not just for the life to come, but for the here and now. We pray in Christ's name.